Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. We return in the middle of August with our first episode of the month, and it is a two-hour explapaganza with Graham McMillan and I discussing the big news about comics creators turning to Substack to publish comics, and James Tinian IV stepping away from Batman to focus on his creator-owned work exclusively. We also talk about The Suicide Squad, the storied history of Substack, Inside by Bo Burnham, The Dreaming, Waking Hours, more Substack, Crunchyroll being acquired by Funimation, more Substack, and oh, by the way, did you hear about Substack? As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, it's been forever since we've done this. It seems like it, doesn't it? It just feels like I'm like, how do I even do this? I don't even understand. How do we podcast? Mm-hmm. That's that's the question. I feel this is where we should announce that, you know, we are quitting podcasting because <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, because we've just been given an obscene amount of money by Substack. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's the future of podcasting because if you think about it, uh, you do newsletters, but maybe you can also do podcasting somehow. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a really great opportunity and they call you a publisher. And then, you know, it's just, it's just very exciting. And I think it's, it's a step forward for the entire podcasting industry. I wonder what we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about why Defenders issue one that came out this week is fucking great. Oh, it was, wasn't it? I really loved it. Yeah, that like, was that good was stuff. Such a good first issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought so. I thought so as well. Yeah, great. It's uh, Al Ewing writing, and uh, I think it's is it Javier Rodriguez? It's Javier Fernandez, isn't it? Javier or is, Fernandez. Is it Rodriguez? Oh, I always get this mixed up. Let's uh, see. Hold on. Uh, it is Rodriguez. You're right. Oh, Javier okay. Rodriguez. Um, who draws it, and it is, it's an amazing first issue, in large part because Rodriguez's art is just, yeah, just amazing. I mean, right. it, it's, it's funny, I remember when uh, Javier Polito came up and everyone was like, Javier Polito, he's fucking amazing, and then Marcos Martin came up and they're like, he's really good, he's kind of like Javier Polito, and, and I'm looking at Javier Rodriguez, and it kind of reminds me of Marcos Martin's stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, in a way, especially in the, the, the formalist way, it's a weird thing to describe his art for people who haven't seen it. I always kind of want to say it's like if Steve, Steve Ditko and Steve Roots had a baby, but ha! that baby was really interested in formalism. Interesting. That's a really good description. I like it. Um, but his his stuff's amazing. I mean, he made that. I think it was called the Official History of the Marvel Universe, the, the Mark Wade book. Oh yeah, I remember wanting uh, to pick that up because the art was so damn low. Yeah, well, that's just it. It was. Like writing wise, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Rodriguez was the illustrator, and it just looked amazing because of that. And it really was a book where you're like, "This is shit," but I'm gonna keep getting it because it just it just looks amazing. And and if anything, Defenders I think is a step up. Yeah, Defenders one is such a good first issue. Rodriguez is really just doing amazing work there. It's mm-hmm. such a looking book. But honestly, Ewing shows up as well. I think Ewing's story is really fun as well. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, it hits all kinds of notes that that I want to see in a in a Marvel's com in a Marvel comic, and particularly a retro Defenders yeah, comic. Comp, right? yeah. You know, it's it's it, like it gives really sh- 
Mm-hmm. It really genuinely does feel like something that is in the same, you know, it's not a, a, a slavish recreation of like Gerber, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it has Gerber tones. Mm-hmm. It has Engelhart tones. It has, yes. honestly, it's, it's got like Gillis tones. It's got mm-hmm. like Peter Gillis tones. It's got Dematis tones. There is that level of um, humanistic weird. Yeah. But also fuck up. Mm-hmm. That I think Defenders needs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's 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 such a good first issue. I, I it's one of those things where I picked up because I saw someone on Twitter be like, "Oh, Defenders," and I was like, "Oh, that's how you use it." Maybe I'll read that when it's on Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And then I saw so and so so many so many people were being like, "It's really good," mm-hmm. like it's it's really fucking good, mm-hmm. and they're entirely right. It is really fucking good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That was the one I picked up this week and was super glad that I did. And interestingly enough, uh, because Marvel was having a Defender sale um, and they had the uh, the best defense trade super cheap, like two ninety nine or less, I think I paid for it. And I'm like, oh, sure, I like the Hulk one-shot. I like the... the the Defenders wrap-up, as I recall, it's, but I never read the other one-shots, and it was fun. It was interesting uh, to reread because there were bits and pieces of it that feel um, feel like, wow, this, this, there's threads there that'll be, it would be surprising if Ewing doesn't pick up on. Like, it literally leaves with a big old dangling the end question mark sort of thing so we'll see what we'll see what happens see what happens with that but and the art in that one actually the art in uh the best defense trade is fabulous because it's it's different artists but um because it's a series of one shots right yeah it's they did uh an immortal hulk a namer a doctor strange and silver surfer one shot and then they the the event wrapped up in a defenders one shot Al Ewing wrote the Hulk and the Defenders wrap-up. Chip Zdarsky did Namer. Gary Dugan did Doctor Strange. And uh, Jason Latour wrote and drew the Silver Surfer one. I remember the Silver Surfer one just looked amazing. I remember being just floored by the artwork for that. Uh, Honestly, I kind of feel like maybe the Mortal Hulk, which has the art, Simone DeMeo doing the art, was kind of okay you know like one of the best parts about it is they use panels from the lee kirby ditko uh incredible hulk issues very much ewing's you know a lot of the stuff that he was doing on his uh work tumbler you know taking yeah, some of those yeah. panels and playing with that but like carlos magno does the art on namer and it's it's just beautiful and then greg smallwood does this art on the doctor strange one shot that I was like, God, who the fuck is this? Like, it was just... Oh, Craig Smallwood's fucking amazing. Yeah, then you should uh, you should check this you out see, on Marvel Unlimited. The covers for the first two covers for the upcoming Tom King Human Target series? I saw the second one on social that's, media that's recently. Smallwood. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, then, yeah, he's going to kill it. Cause... Um, I think it was maybe with Jeff Lemire. He did a Moonlight run. Mm, oh, right. I love that run, in fact. I knew the name rang a bell. Like, Smallwood's art on that was extraordinary. I thought so huh yeah he's great um yeah and that doctor strange one shot but like the art all around is good it's a really fun little event it also 
Um, it's it's interesting because it if you read it, it reads more like I think what you would have expected the first issue of Defenders to be like, which is to say, it's a little rougher. It sort of shows its influences a little too heavily. Like there's a there's literally a spaceship where where, where there's a character uh, dressed as a ghost uh, running around with a knife uh, killing people. Um, and that's that'll be just one page pumped out uh, yeah. in each of the one shots. That's, that's Ewing, or no? No, let's well, see. That's it. It first Ewing's the first one, so you get it in his one shot. But each of them kind of have that, and so there's a real elf with a gun kind of drop in out of nowhere thing, and then in, you know the the final one shot explains what the hell's going on, or I guess they make more groundwork with it in Silver Surfer. But at the same time, it's kind of like how do I put it? It's like, you're sort of excited to see it again, but it's not done as well as, say, the tarot card usage uh, in Defenders 1, you know, which again, such a such a shout out to classic Marvel 70s stuff, or, you know, they mention uh, Sissonig, you know, the um, Steve Englehart sorcerer who becomes mm-hmm. God and all that is, you know, dropped in there. Um but they're they're like really nice sort of they're layered deep cuts. Whereas yeah, they're they're not they're not. Uh, it's not a cover band. Yeah, and Defenders Best Defense has a little bit more of the oh hey here's a cover band feel to it. Like it, it's funny. Did I tell you? I think I did that. I was rereading the Fraction Defenders run recently. No, you did not tell me that, which is interesting because I kind of was like, oh yeah, I think I should try rereading that and having that weird like. I don't remember anything about it other than it annoyed the shit out of me. So, tell me what what what's it like? It's um, it's a little bit more like the it it sounds it sounds wrong to describe it as a cover mount, right? But in the same way that the Ewing Defenders feels organically Defenders ish, yeah, the Fraction One feels inorganically Defenders ish. Right. It feels like it's trying too hard the entire time. Well, there's that uh, whole thing with Prester right. John's eye and some sort of glyph that's gonna end the universe or something. Does that sound right? Is that right? Yeah, there, there's the, oh god, the something machine. I can't even remember. Basically, it's a, it's a machine that the the concordance will, will you know, destroy the world, break mm. the world. Right, right. And, like, that's a, that's a uh, you know, the arc as which sort of suggests that the comic is more coherent than it actually is. Um, it's a comic that also you read now, and you're very clear that notes were being given, shall we say. <laughs> um, but also that Fraction is, is, is trying to rework the book mm-hmm. as it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, So you get like kind of two relaunches in there, mm-hmm. and it only lasts like ten issues. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it doesn't you know, even make it like, a full year, right? Which Yeah, and you get like, you know, you do get, you know, fraction kind of reworking or trying to, you know, go what what is this book? What what can I turn this book into? You know? Um it's it's an interesting read, but not a good read. That might be the best way to describe it. Right. It it's it's one where the meta text or the behind the scenes story almost feels more interesting than what the actual comic is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I sort of, um, I sort of feel like that's going to end up being our theme for this episode this week. 
oh, I'm really interested. What what else would you say that's the case? With? Oh, uh, for me, I kind of felt that um, it's only inevitable that we're going to end up being pulled into the the whirlpool that is the the raft of Substack announcements that oh, happened. Yeah. Almost certainly. Yeah, and um, I signed up for the free version of Tinian's newsletter, um, mm-hmm. and so therefore, I signed up for the paid version, Jeff. I I spent. I've. We will get to that. I certainly thought about it. I mean, because for me, I'm like, I would pay a certain amount of money per month just to hear somebody tell like the real behind the scenes scoop of what was going on on the Batman books, and Tinian's. Clearly, very aware that that is, and you know, that's what he's doing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I guess the, the first Batman email didn't go out to people who didn't pay the money. Uh, then. Oh, so you got was, it then? Was, huh? Yeah, one went out this week. Ooh. So he had a free newsletter that yes. I think is going to be uh, worth discussing, and in it, one of the things that he said is. Um, kind of talking about kind of the improv skills of comic book writers, you know, of, of basically trying to steer things between what you started with and what things are developing into because of more or less constant editorial presence. And I thought that that was really interesting like i was like oh yeah so just basically what you were saying like the meta text of what's happening behind things is sort of what you know kind of struck me as the meatiest part of sort of his newsletter and kind of what he was waving so sort of felt like um if nothing else there's a ton of behind the scenes stuff about substack you know where people have to uh, make some choices. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Substack, as you know, is is has certainly had its share of controversy. And yes, yes, it has. And, um, and that is I, okay. So now I'm mm-hmm. now I'm curious. Right. What have you gotten from Tinian? Did you get the e- the email that he sent out yesterday talking about leaving Twitter? Yes. And why Substack is better? That's right. That is the one. Okay. That is the only one that I've gotten off of. Okay, because he basically he sends this this email. Wait, wait. I guess we should probably go back and like talk about the whole thing to give people context. I, I right? think so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, um, or we can keep talking about comics because I really did think that this was going to be our top of the hour talk, but I was well, kind I, of delighted I, to talk I, about I Defenders, did, which is why I swerved you in the other direction. Right, and so I feel bad. <laughs> Part of me is like, we can swerve back and talk about Free Comic Book Day, which a lot of people uh, weren't aware happened, including a lot of publishers, it seemed like. But uh, uh, Did you go, did you take advantage of it? Because I didn't. Uh, n- no, because, you know, I'm, I'm Joe Digital, so... DC had like two books on digital, some uh, a Batman special edition and a Batman and Robin and Howard, you know, from the Jeffrey Brown graphic novel. And I picked up those and I believe there was uh, an IDW Transformers book maybe that I did not bother with. And as far as I could see, that was it. But maybe it, there the, was the other more. ones will show up later. They always do. Right. They usually do. Yeah. Um. 
But you know, I, I didn't do anything for free comic book day. Let's okay. Let's talk about other things first because Substack. I think when we get around to it, right. is going to be a whole thing. To be exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, I didn't take advantage of free comic book day. I I mean, there was a couple of books I was curious about, not least of which the the two thousand eighty one. Uh, uh, yeah, because I had, right. had a new Al Ewing story in it. A new Ooh. Al Ewing Dread. Um, but but I didn't. I, I didn't go to the store. Oh. Uh, I, honestly, like, I, I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this. I really like Free Comic Book Day, but I don't necessarily feel the urge to to participate. Usually. Never mind, you know, years where there's a Delta period. Right. And like, That's as true. you know, like as you know, I I traveled this week, so yes. I'm also trying my best to not go anywhere mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so yeah, I, I I didn't take advantage of it. I hope many people did. I do feel that it was a an odd choice to have free comic book day this year in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, B something again they might want to postpone, considering you know Delta variant and and. I'm saying that as a sort of, you know, catch-all term for, the, like, at least in Oregon, and I know across the country, like, COVID is, infections are exploding again. Well, yeah. You know, like, it is, it's bad out there again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that, like, they were just like, ah, oh, just, let's just do free comic book day anyway, seems nuts to me, genuinely. Um, but also, even with that in mind, people just didn't seem to give a shit. Right. Right. Like, I, I feel like no one was talking about it in advance. No. No. I mean, I I also kind of got the sense, it didn't feel like there were a lot of people talking about it on day of. But especially in the lead up, I was kind of like, oh, wait. Like, if I hadn't seen the books in Comixology on Tuesday, I wouldn't have known that it was coming up. You know? Like, that was how I kind of found out by seeing two of the little freebies that DC was. That, was. Did, did DC put their, theirs up early and, and yeah, Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. They put put it up with the week's releases, so you know. Um, yeah, so it's it's weird, you know. It, it's and it's also weird that it's this week because normally it's the first Saturday in May, right. which almost, almost like at least for you know the last seven or eight years has coincided with a movie release yeah yeah usually a marvel movie right. yeah. and mm-hmm. like suicide squad was last week so yeah. why wasn't last week right. right or for that matter like why not hold it over until september and do it next month with shang chi mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah no i mean i get this sense of course i i assume that it's that you know Three months earlier, every five months earlier, everything looked great. It looked like we were coming out of this. Everyone was planning on when we were going to be returning to work and things were going to be happening. And, you know, everyone's talking about what, you know, the great time they're going to be having through the summer. And I guess they were kind of like, oh, well, we missed the window for May Free Comic Book Day, but we'll do it in August. And, you know, who knows? I, like, I feel like there was so much that's been pushed around since. But I think they just, did that thing that so many people are doing these days, which I don't think is great, which is essentially like, well, we already got these plans underway and we're just not like, I just don't want to stop it again. And it's like, you guys, it's not safe. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. People are like, yeah, let's get together and hang out. And it's like, I'm like, I'm not sure that's a good idea. Like, you know, even though, 
were all, you know, vaccinated, you know, it's like, I'm not sure any of us really want to catch the Delta variant or God help us, the Lambda variant or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... Or, or for that matter, any variant. Or any variant, I, anyone, yeah. I like, no one wants to be one of the quote-unquote breakthrough cases, right? Oh, yeah, right, right. Um, I don't know, it's weird. It feels like the... You know, last year's obviously didn't happen. And it's funny, I was thinking about that earlier today, and I was like, well, I remember last year's Free Comic Day was supposed to launch the Best of 2008 special. Mm, like, series, right. well, which series. And that series just died. COVID killed that series. Mm, yeah. Like, entirely. It's not just postponed. That series is dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, but, like, Free Comic Book Day last year didn't happen. It turned into, you remember, like, four weeks of Free Comic Book Days? Mm-hmm. For stores that were open at the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this year's the second year where, like, free comic book day basically didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's sad, I guess. I don't know. I mean, there was nothing that really wowed me about the books that were coming out. I've got to be honest. Right. Well, I, I also feel like there's a, you know, the industry took some pretty rough hits, at least the periodical side of things. And I don't. I don't really have much of a sense that, I mean, maybe this is because I'm not, I'm totally staying away from previews, but I'm kind of like, I don't really feel like there are super big events coming up from Marvel and DC that they're trying to super hype or, you know what I mean? Like, again. Well, but I mean, that's just it. They are, right? The the Batman one, Free Comic Book Day, is leading into Fear State. Yes, which admittedly it lays out very well. I think it does a pretty good job. That does seem like it's tying into stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, DC's really trying to do this future state, like, and here's how everything is building toward the future state status quo in the regular books. Uh, they make that very clear. And in fact, the Batman's free comic book day special was pretty good and at the risk of dragging us back into the morass again is kind of amazing in the sense of james tinian's name is slathered all over it and this scarecrow the fear state event is is being hyped as this huge thing right and i'm just like wow and he's he's already gone like you know but i also well, he is he is he's there until november to the end of fear state right exactly Exactly. Fear State is, like, now the end of his run. Yeah, right? And I kind of, I'm like, wow. You know, again, if nothing else, that guy knows his timing. That's for sure. Because it's kind of like, yeah, hey, I'm t- forming my own substack, and I'm leaving Batman. And, you know, the same week that, like, DC comes out, like, spending a lot of money to promote, you know, among uh, uh, mainly his Batman event. You know, they're also promoting the John Ridley stuff, the fu- bat- yeah, future. Yeah, yeah. I am, I am part. Batman. Yeah. So. Which is no, that's now in continuity. Uh, is it? Well, it seemed like it was in this particular book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they've, they've doubled back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they've doubled uh, back. No, they have. Like they, they finished Future State, and then they're like, okay, now we see how it became Batman. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so a a weird state of affairs, but I have to say at, for whatever reason, I think, you know, the first year where there was no free comic book day and SDCC was, you know, virtual and like, 
it was notable by its absence. And this year, the stuff just feels absent. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. It's theoretically happened. Yeah. But it feels like it didn't. Yeah, very much so. You know, it's 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 things are weird. Things that used to feel like I mean, not even necessarily exciting parts of the calendar, but recurring parts of the calendar. Yes, right? You know, kind and of how comic book people sort like of that. set their year. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 genuinely weird that it's like, well, so what is comics now? You know, like like what are the what is the comics calendar? Right. As we think of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of it. Like what's anyone's <laughs> what's anyone's calendar? I mean, you know, we just got the the sadly not untrue. Got the heads up from our work. I was supposed to be um our office was supposed to return to work uh the first week in September, like September eighth or seventh or right after the holiday. Um I guess it was I think it actually was supposed to be Wednesday the eighth. And now they've uh just announced that they were they're gonna push it back a month. So now it's gonna be October fourth. And of course that's the official management stance. And behind the stance everyone's like, Oh my god, just push it back to the end of the year. You know, and hearing from other people who are like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend's out in D.C. and they say they're planning on keeping everything closed until spring. They should just do that. And I'm just like, oh, you know, like there's there's a weird mix of, you know, I do not want to get leveled with this illness, especially after investing, you know, a year and a half of my life trying to avoid it, you know, but um, but I also do wonder how much of that is also kind of, uh, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of people who are, um, basically kind of expecting, who want to push everything back. The, the new normal is basically the old normal. And I think there's a lot of people who are like, I don't know if that's what I want, you know, like, Oh, I, I no, I think the new normal is going to be something very different. Yeah. Uh, well, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, like to, to get, to get further away from the topic of, of comics for a second. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I traveled this week. Um, Chloe and I went to pick up her, like her kids. Who's been staying with his grandparents for the summer. Right. And we went to pick them up. And I have never had such a complicated journey across the country. Mm. Uh, and it's, Part of me wants to be like, oh, well, the airline was just inept. But it's not just that, right? It's right. that so much is literally up in there. People are just basically making shit up as they go along. Yeah. Which is you kind know? of amazing, right? Because you're sort of like, you know, this is the first time you've traveled. But, like, you would think that other people have... Well, but what's what's interesting is... Um, so we went to collect them, but the, the grandmother came to pick them up, right? Right. And she had exactly the same problems with travel as we did. Wow. Which is to say, like, on the way to the airport, the flight was changed. <laughs> you know? Uh, which then meant we had to reschedule altogether because the first flight being changed meant the connecting flight was missed. Right. 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 And they didn't think about that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they, for both, like, both journeys, 
they separated the adults from the kid and then made problems about how the kid was now an unaccompanied minor. Wow. Wow. Really? Yeah. Jesus. Like, like weird mistakes, like genuinely strange mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, our seat, uh, seat allocations were changed while we were sitting in the, the, uh, the departure lounge, like sitting at the gates. No. Yeah. Waiting to board. Right. Right. Like less than half an hour before the flight, we mm-hmm. got a notification. Our seats had changed. I hate that stuff. Did they tell you why? And were you able to no. change it back? Or yeah, yeah. Well, we weren't able to change it back. But we were able to basically like complain enough that they they set us all together. And, and thankfully, like people swapped seats. Like mm-hmm. that's the other part of it. Other people could understand. Well, maybe a kid shouldn't be sitting alone for a three and a half hour flight. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, maybe maybe he, he sit it with his parents. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so like other people swapped seats, so it worked out. Right. Um. But it didn't like it worked out despite the airline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, very much so. Which is crazy because yeah. again, my feeling is, you know, if nothing else, the airline has been doing this for the whole time. Like maybe in you know, but that's it. It's they're they're not used to the numbers that are flying. You know, they're they're not quite sure how to handle this constantly changing field. And frankly, the few times I had flown, I had also gone through stuff where you know one of the things that sucks is you've got these guys who have their travel plants who fly all the time and so they have all these mileage points Mm -hmm. and they totally do this like oh upgrade i'm upgrading you know and they more or less will throw like this had happened with Edie and i a couple of times where we both had aisle seats and suddenly we didn't and we're like well what the fuck they're like well you know blah 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 and what it was was you know somebody showed up at the last minute who had all these points and was like yeah i basically want to sit there and because she and i had booked our points through the credit card stuff essentially Mm -hmm. we weren't we weren't really considered real passengers by the airline so they're like yeah you're You've been moved. Don't worry. It's a wonderful seat. You're very close to the restroom now. You know, that kind of thing. And it was like, what the fuck? We booked these these things like four months in advance. So anyway, all of which is to say I hate airlines and I hate traveling anyway. And I'm really impressed at how much like I'm always impressed at the airline industry Ever since, Somehow like, managing to get it worse? Well, see, that's it. Ever since 2001, they're like, oh, okay, let's just make it worse. Like, every time there's a new catastrophe or disaster or threat, they just sink to the occasion, you know? They're like, oh, yeah, eh, we've got to charge you for air now, you know? And it's just, I, I hate it with a white-hot passion, which is a but, shame. But like, I'm, Yeah, sorry. Well, I was going to say, like, but it's another thing that, you know... The, it shouldn't be this hard. Like this, this no. trip shouldn't have been that hard. Yeah, right. It should, right. Have been, should have been very easy. It should not have taken, you know, any of the complicated steps that it took to get right. back. Right. Right. Um, and so there should be a new normal. Like you said, like it's not as if like we're the first people flying. Yeah. During all this, and we are now. This is like grim as shit. But we're now eighteen months into this pandemic. Right. 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 There's been a year and a half for them to, if not work it out, then at least not. Like it not be as utterly right, collapsed. yeah, and it's and it again, I just feel that it's amazing how much 
nobody's well i don't know about and i'm sure there are plenty of people who are but there's a lot of areas where again sort of like the airlines they're like well it's just going to return to normal you know we're just we're just going to seat of our pants it until things are back to how they used to be and it's like it's 18 months you guys haven't worked out any other strategies other than you know wait until everyone checks in and you know overbook your flight yeah, at 120 percent like, and jeff, then yeah jeff we're still doing free comic book day 18 months into this right well yeah right well you know? i mean sort of again see how well it turned out like the industry is like yeah. diamond is we'll see if there's a free comic book day next year and that's that sounds grim but i'm actually serious like this time next year, never mind this time, May next year, uh, Diamond doesn't go to Marvel. Mm, right? Right, right. Because Diamond organizes Free Comic Book Day. Mm-hmm. It's a Diamond project. Right. Is Diamond even going to want to do Free Comic Book Day? Right, when it doesn't have Marvel and it doesn't have DC and, you know. I mean, that's that weird thing of, like, you would sort of like to believe that, you know, in all the stories we've been told us that they're going to take all their money and be like yeah we're totally going to promote the indie comics that we have and we're going to pivot and we're going to you know really push dark horse and image and all I the... mean, they'll, have, they'll have no choice right you would think but i mean like but part of me is like like you said like they'll just throw in the towel and they're like you know what we're going to get most of our money through funko pops selling marvel comics. or selling well, marvel comics right or selling marvel comics via however whatever yeah, Penguin Random House, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I think one of the things... God, I keep... I feel like I'm the one who's, like, dangling this with, like, a, a you know, this little thing of bait at the end of the line. The whole thing about the Substack announcements and things, had a, I felt like there were a ton of people who were like, this is the best chance to escape from the foibles and traps of the direct market and and but it's it's not right well i mean the the thing that i thought was i mean I, i feel like you know just because you're escaping from one set of traps doesn't mean that you're falling not falling into another you know and i definitely think that because like did you see hickman uh newsletter or announcement talking about his lovely over-designed thing that had like three three worlds three moons jeff with all the hickman graphics that again you would think that he wouldn't do because it seems so self-parodic but he's doing it i kind of he's he's right yeah he's right there like he he is a brand oh do you want me to uh kind of break some news here yes please so there's a a rumor earlier in the week i think it came from uh bleeding cool that hickman was off x-men the same way that tenon's off uh Batman? Uh-huh. He's not. Ooh. Okay. I asked Marvel, and they're, they're like, no. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I mean, so, so yes. So Hickman, in his email, or whatever it was that I was reading from, and wherever I was reading it, hopefully I wasn't just high and hallucinating it, was kind of talking about how one of the things that excited him about the Substack stuff was that feeling of not knowing what you're going to get, you know, mm-hmm. that the, the, the direct market system 
of having to essentially promote everything three months in advance to retailers more or less sucked out all the surprises and energy out of things. And I, you know, I think since you and I had been talking about that just probably within the last two, three months on the podcast, I found that idea very attractive, you know? Okay, but this is, this gets to one of the complicated things about Substack. Let's just talk about it. We're talking around it so much. Yeah. Uh, we talked about, it's at this point, it's like two months ago, uh, it was announced at Substack, the newsletter, the email newsletter company, was launching a comics program. They hired an expenser as basically their comics outreach guy. Um, and, you know, the one of these days we're going to get around to announcing who we're, who we're involving. Right. Seeing what's left open. This week, a lot of names dropped. Uh, James Tynion, we've talked about. Jonathan Hickman, who has formed a studio with Mike Dolmundo and Mike Huddleston. Mm. Uh, the studio was called Three Worlds, Three Moons. Um, Scott Snyder is doing a comics class, a How to Write Comics class through mm-hmm. Substack. Right. Uh, Chip Zdarsky, Molly Ostertag, um, Saladin Ahmed. Mm, right. And there's someone else that I'm forgetting. Mm-hmm. I can't think of it is. There's someone else I'm forgetting. Oh, Scotty Young. Scotty Young's the other one. Oh, interesting. Um, huh. And they all announced this week, oh, we're doing Substack. Like, it's very exciting. It's, it's you know, a great leap forward for the industry. You know, there's so many possibilities. This is so great. You know, hooray. Right. This, this, this is the future of comics. You know, we can't say how excited about this. Also... Twitter's toxic, social media's toxic, but we're here now, and this is great. You know, it's just, it's strange that we all happen to, you know, simultaneously, for no reason whatsoever, get, like, close down our Twitter accounts. There's definitely <laughs> no contractual reason in our Substack to make people do this. This is just what we're doing. Who knew? Um, but when you read enough of these newsletters... Uh, it's clear that Substack is literally just throwing money at people and not giving them any guidance as to what to do. In fact, right. Tinian even said, he w- if he said yes to money, the expectation would be he'd publish a certain number of newsletters, but they didn't even have to be about comics. Mm. Not only did they not have to be comics, they didn't have to be about comics. Wow. As he said, he could literally just do newsletters about recipes, and mm. he would be fulfilling the terms of his contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And as a result, you have Molly Ostertag, who is going to be a serializing graphic novel. You have Tinian and Hickman, who are going to be doing digital comics. Uh, Zdarsky is doing digital comics as well. I think everyone has talked about how it's also going to be print eventually. Right. Right? So this is not redefining comics at all. There's nothing about this that's redefining comics. Because we've had digital comics for a long time, and all these things are going to be print comics anyway. We've had Patreons which are basically the same thing for a long time where you sign up and pay a certain amount of money per month and you will get exclusive content. It's the same thing. Right. It's the same model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing that's different here, the only thing that's different is that Substack is throwing obscene amount of money to creators to get them to do this for a year. Allegedly obscene amounts of money. I mean, yes, Allegedly, I've seen amounts of money, but you know we can talk about the thing that's been said publicly, which is Rob Liefeld gave a figure of six hundred thousand dollars. Did he? Wow, publicly, yep. good on him. 
um, that they had offered him, or just that he oh, no, 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 was no, being no, bandied about? Oh, yeah, okay. he's being bandied about. I, I'm trying to think of the nicest way of saying there's no way so segment off a rope life. Well, I, I, dude, I'm part of me is like you know, I mean, the idea that I'd they're turning lo- I'd, around I'd and offering. What's that? Right. I'd love it. I'd yeah, love it. Absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, like, a they're kind of not that foolish, even they. But b it means that they're throwing if if Liefeld is accurate and they're throwing six hundred thousand dollars at. Jonathan Hickman or James Tinian to, you know, I assume you've got to pay your comics people out of that, you know, your artists and your letterers and etc. But, you know, for one year, that's, I mean, it's sort of at that point, you're like, oh, I could see why Tinian would be stepping down from Batman. Like, Batman's not giving him six hundred thousand dollars a year. Right? Yeah, it's it's right. a ridiculous, especially because Substack is asking for nothing. Remember? Yeah. Right. Okay. They're yeah. asking for. They're saying, "Will you publish some newsletters?" They're taking no rights from this at all. Yeah, which right? is amazing. They're claiming yeah. any intellectual property or anything. Right. They're not saying you you have to publish through a partner we have. None yeah. of it. Yep. None of it. They're literally throwing money at people. <sighs> To get people signed up for newsletters. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. The point where I'm convinced there's something we can't see. Oh. Like, I'm convinced. Completely. I'm convinced there's something we can't see. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I genuinely don't. But, like, even with, even assuming there is something, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane. No, it's, I mean, it, it, that it's insane is... amounts of money. I understand the idea of doing this as a... You know, you get the big names and other people will follow and eventually the other people will be making enough money that Substack will see a consistent revenue stream. Because Substack takes a percentage of every um, subscription fee. Right. For the people who have gotten the grants, it's a hefty percentage. Right. Uh, For the first year, which is the year of the grant, Substack takes 90% of the subscription fee. Right. Right. Okay. But for every year subsequently, and for people who don't get the the, the Substack Pro program, it's uh, they take ten percent of every fee, or maybe no, fifteen percent. I think they take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know could add up if. Well, sure, but if you're seem like a thing, paying it, you know, if you're paying well, James Tinian, paying, yeah, if you're paying, so let's say everyone is getting six hundred thousand. And you know there are rumors that people are getting more than that, right? But let's just say six hundred thousand. Let's let's believe for life else, right? In fact, no, fuck. Let's say everyone's getting five hundred thousand. Sure. If you're paying everyone half a million dollars, yeah. Okay, but you have signed up like seven people that we know of already. Yeah. There is no way, no way in hell there is a comics reading audience out there that is going to give Substack. Three and a half million dollars annually, right? That just doesn't exist. That there, there, it just doesn't exist, right? Well, because my, my... In, order that, in order for that to be the case, don't forget that would just be ten percent of what the subscription fee is, right? Right. So Substack would actually have to be generating thirty or thirty-five million dollars in mm-hmm. paid subscriptions mm-hmm. annually from comics fans alone. Every everything about it feels like 
the end of dot com 1.0. I have I have to say not that I'm like, you know, but as an old fart in his 50s, like hearing those numbers being thrown around makes me want to move all of my 401k money into the money markets, you know, cuz I'm just like in into cash reserves cuz I'm like, yeah, that's that's like when dot com 1.0 crashed when people were delivering pet food you know, with one hour delivery. And the idea was it was all going to be brand awareness. Like it was just there. It's either investment money. It's Russian oligarch money. Like I have a really, really hard time believing. Now, on the other hand, like part of me sort of the overhead for Substack, if I'm understanding things is relatively low. Like, you know, they do ads and promotions and stuff, but like, you know, newsletters are cheap. Like email servers, even sophisticated ones, I don't think necessarily cost a ton of money. So I can see where they're like, well, our overhead's going to be not super high comparatively. We're not, you know, we're not trying to be YouTube and host video, you know, or at least not yet. But at the same time, there's part of me where I'm just like, this doesn't sound... It doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound rational. It all sounds like one, a vaporware scam. It does. It does. Know? When you realize like how much money is being spent. And the, honestly, it, the thing that, that makes me super suspicious is that I can't see the win for Substack. Mm-hmm. Right? right? I just can't. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Seems, it seems insane. Yeah. Uh, which which is the thing that makes me go okay, but what is actually happening here? Mm-hmm. And is it is it just that like they're like okay, well we've got to grow the, the we've got to grow the newsletter market somehow. We don't know how to do that. So um, okay, comics sure people spend a lot of money on comics. Maybe if we get the really big names, they'll spend a lot of money on us. Um, yeah, sure that works. And it's the I, I've been. For, for you know for the mysterious thing that I, I keep talking about and never defining I've been looking at comics history a bunch over the summer mm-hmm. right and Substack just feels like 1990s in two different ways right it feels like image comics mm-hmm. uh, the formation of image comics but it also feels like when Marvel was just like buying shit to keep its market share up right Right? Yeah. When mm-hmm. Marvel all of a sudden stops making money in its comics, but it's like, okay, but we've bought a few trading card companies, so that's fine. Right. And they're like, okay, so no one's really into trading cards either, but um, that's okay. We bought a distributor because that, that'll that work out. You know, <laughs> we bought Malibu because right. they've got really good coloring and, and they've got a line of comics. Uh, okay, so that didn't work out. We're, and it just feels like that level of like, yeah. well, we've got to grow our audience, but how do we grow our audience? What if we just like spend lots of money and hope that 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 just brings new people with it. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, or, I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I so I think there's a lot of, like, Substacks throwing around a lot of money to try and get, get people, uh, you know, get their name on people's lips to get them interested. They've got a huge, you know, I assume they've got a lot of investment money, um, but, like I said, or something. But there's... And I mean, you know, Patreon is a model that has been around, that has been, that a lot of people have adapted and used, um, you know, that's never really had any kind of competitor. 
and maybe Substack is, you know, kind of doing its thing of like, yeah, if we get if we get this to where we move everybody off of social media and back into communicating via email, newsletter, passive broadcasting, you know, with different degrees of, of content, you know, there's, there's a lot of competition to try and get an audience, you know, familiar with your name and or sort of locked into what you do. You know what I mean? So that it's like three years from now, they, they're like, hey, you sell, you know, buy a Substack Plus subscription for $40 a year and you, instead of having to pay $7 a month to, you know, every comic book creator that you want to follow or every right-wing hate monger you want to follow, like, you know, for 40 bucks, you can basically have a dozen subscriptions you know we offer it to you in bulk and through the terms of service and yada yada but you know what i mean like part of me feels like they're trying maybe they're really trying to build a market with a lot of money and the way is like build heat like i i wonder if comics is you know not unlike right-wing hate mongers they're like you know we have very loyal fans you know what I mean? Like they're kind of but like, that, but that is it, isn't it? It, it mm-hmm. literally is. A, well, we've looked at the comics market, and it's a fan market. And if we can get this fan market interested in our product, yes, this fan market spends a lot of money on what they're fans of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It feels like a very cynical try attempt to appropriate a, a market. Which I mean, again, you look at the twenty twenty numbers, a market that is worth a fair amount of money and is growing yes right but it feels like a very cynical attempt to try and appropriate that well sure maybe no i mean that's i mean maybe that is maybe that's that is far too cynical in my point but it 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 doesn't feel uh, i don't know like i'm i'm doing a story for thr about this and as Mm -hmm. such like i'm going to be i'm going to actually be asking questions of the people who found the substack and honestly there's no nice way to ask this, but honestly, the question I want to ask is like, why? <laughs> no, but for real, like, are you just really big comic fans, or like, what do you get out of this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's the that is the biggest question for me. Like, what is actually happening here? Well, yeah, I mean, and that's so rare that that's going to be an actual anything that they'll ever answer right well like, I, mean, I mean honestly i can't ask because they wouldn't answer right Do you know i mean like it's it's not something that's even worth asking <laughs> yeah right because they just sort of but i mean i'm sure they'll sort of talk about it but it is kind of amazing to see the idea that they are throwing around like you said you know millions of dollars for stuff where they're not even sort of getting the rights you know in um in a world in which everyone is essentially trying to scramble to lock down as much IP as possible, you know? like Yeah, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. Like, at a time when everyone wants to own some comic book IP just in case, that is, Substack is paying so much money and asking for nothing. Yeah, right. 
but it on the other hand it's a it's kind of a great way to i mean you know you mentioned re- researching your history of the comic market isn't didn't when martin goodman opened was it atlas comics or whatever he was like hey i'll pay you higher page rates and maybe i'll let you keep your own properties and you know Come on over here, like you know, like and we need to compete. At the same time. Don't, yeah, don't exactly. don't don't underestimate the and you can fuck over Stan at the same time. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, which is why Ditko was like, "Sign me up. Here's six books." You know, and uh, yeah, I I you know there, but it does. You start wondering is like, okay, so is Substack? I mean, Substack's clearly not gunning for Patreon. You know, like. Who or where are they going after? Or are they going for? You know, it. You do wonder if they were just like enormous fans of like web comics at the turn of the twenty first century or something like that. I mean, you know, it, I mean, the the real question is like, are is it is it so strange that Substack is going to go for like a webtoons type thing? Right. 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 Well, and that's it. Yeah, maybe. Like, like yeah. is that is that what they're targeting? I mean, or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's literally. Uh, we just want more people subscribed and paying money to us for our product newsletters, and we don't care what's in the newsletters. Well, right? sure. And we are just yeah. like, we are just identifying people who are likely to sign up for a newsletter. Mm-hmm. And again, it worked for me. I signed up for Tinians. Right. 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 I was mm-hmm. already on his free email list. Yeah. But I. I mean. I, I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this. I was like, I'm going to sign up for one of these just to see what it's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one sounds the most interesting to me? And I was like, Tinian's at, at least an interesting creator to me. Mm-hmm. Like the, mm-hmm. the Hickman thing felt very Hickman. Yes. <laughs> it, it really Hickman. came down to Hickman and Tinian. And I was like, Hickman just sounds very Hickman. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. okay then. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting, but it it does give you weird vibes. Let's put it that way. You know, I think I think the most generous way that I can put it. And I mean, it'll be. It, it's interesting that you're working on a story for THR. I'll be curious to see if you get any sort of additional insights, because it just it seems kind of. Uh, it's just one of those things where you're kind of like, okay, well, they're easy. They're, you know, I don't know. I'm just so cynical. After after living in the Bay Area through all the dot com stuff, ones and twos, I'm just like, yeah, just that sort of stuff. That it's almost always a scam. You know, it's always there's always some pyramid scheme, you know, Ponzi thing that kicks in at a certain point. You know, and it's just... Well, I mean, the the other thing is, how many of these are still going to be in existence two years from now? Sure, right? I mean, yeah, even Tinian's making it sound like he's doing it for a year and then he'll see, but he's not committing to it for more than a year, which is kind of amazing because part of me is like, dude, if it doesn't work out and you just spent the last 12 months talking really openly about the Batman editorial department, like, I'm not, I'm not sure where you're going, but you know, maybe he, maybe even separate and apart from Substack. To me, Tinian, sort of like Hickman, Zdarsky, one of the things that I think is 
not surprising about all of those creators to me is is that they are dudes who are very comfortable with the indie comics and have always kept their hand in that pot even while they're doing mainstream big two stuff you know some people it's kind of a badminton net you know they go over they do the image stuff and then they come back and maybe do a dc thing and then they go back and do the you know but like tinian is he may well have seen more money from you know even his cut of what is it something is killing the children that got a development deal or something like that yeah yeah You know, like he saw that money and was like, oh, well, you know, if I can just replicate this without, you know, boom taking their cut or having their say on who I go with or how the development deal gets done, like, I'll be set. Or maybe even with all that money, he's like, yeah, that's that's a lot more money than me writing my, you know, writing until my eyes bled for Batman and Robin Eternal, you know, so I don't know, (laughs) you know. Man, remember Batman Robin Eternal? Um, yeah, it's 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 a. I am I am, I'm very curious about it. I'm very suspicious. Is is arguably too negative, right? But I, it's there's so much in there that is honestly strange. Yeah, you know, eyebrow that, raised. That I, yeah, that mm-hmm. I am just like you know, yeah. There's there's something going on here that we can't see, mm-hmm. right? Right? Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see what happens with it. I, 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 I'm hoping we'll see what happens. That the various people who have come out are a going to be accompanied by more people who are not white men. That would sure. be really nice. Yeah. Um. I. I'm curious if everyone who, or if more people who are involved in it, will do what Molly Ostertag's doing and Chip Zdarsky are doing, which is giving all of their income from the actual subscription fee to charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, which honestly felt like a very smart move on their part. I mean, but... it's is it? I mean, I I'm still like. Like, there was a section in Tinian's newsletter that caught my eye. That's where I was going with this. Okay. It's just to say, like, Substack has real problems. Substack has real problems, at least in terms of uh, perception, right? Right. At the very least in terms of perception. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel that no one is actually properly addressing that. And I think that Ostertag and Zdarsky have come the closest even though they have stayed far away from it, by donating the money to uh, queer-supporting charities. Mm-hmm. Okay? Tinian kind of addressed it, but did so with a line of argument that I think is naive, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, ended up very much frustrating me <laughs> and making me want to be like, James, no, James. James. Right. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. Uh, because his argument was, you know, I hate Twitter because Twitter is an algorithm that if you're on Twitter, you will be pushed to see things that are objectionable and people who are abhorrent. And Twitter's bus- Twitter's business model is supporting that, and therefore I don't want to be on Twitter. Twitter's gross, which is fine. Yes, but 
then you can't go, Substack's much better because everything I promote here is something I believe in. Mm-hmm. And you know there's no way that abhorrent voices are profiting from this because we know that's not true. Right. That's demonstrably not true. The money that Substack gets, they put in Substack Pro program, which does pay those voices. Yes. You don't get to say, well, none of the, my money goes there. That's not the way it works. So for me, Substack is like far more directly helping that, right? Right. No, I mean, well, it's tough because, of course, Twitter has is a particularly hot mess, which I think, and I think this is the thing that I found interesting and a little frustrating is one man's naivete might be another man's bad faith. You know what I mean? Like his... Yes, but I, again, like I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? So, so let me do the wait, what devil's advocate thing and say well, the opposite side of that because I, I, I brought it up. Yes, I've got it open as well. I've got it as open okay, as well. So, okay, I tell you what, you read part, part and I, I can read part. I mean, Not how much do I read? Because there, there's a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so this is this is the part that that I was like. Mm. I agree that there are bad actors using the platform. I'm a queer person, and there are some people using Substack who make my skin crawl. But there are also a bunch of queer writers and creators of all stripes getting six-figure sub-pro grants and access to health insurance who have never been offered that kind of security by any other company, certainly not in a way that lets them keep the rights to everything they make and walk away at the end of it. Right? So he is feels like Tinian is already looking at the end of this, which is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, no, sorry, that's not the thing where he was... He, it's a bit earlier when he talks about promoting. Uh, I, here I have the power to promote who I want to promote and put money in the pockets of creators whose work I like and support. It's a closed system between me and you that only links out to what I want to link out to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is, again, like, at best naive. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I, again, I subscribe to this. The money I paid to Tinian to subscribe to this goes to Substack. 90% of that goes to Substack. That's right. So if Substack then decides that it is going to pay Glenn Greenwald, mm-hmm. I have paid Glenn Greenwald. Right. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no. So right. Incredibly, impossibly naive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the other thing I read is actually true. It Like, Substack is paying queer creators and offering them this, these possibilities. But is that enough to shield it from also supporting... Well, just out of curiosity, who 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 are the queer creators that they're paying? Apart I mean, from t- James Tinian, right? Well, see, that's it. That's where I, I'm like, but who? I, I, I mean, yeah, without again, meaning I to go on. And... Who, I mean, Molly Ostertag, in terms of the comic people. Uh-huh. And I, I'm trying to think. Of, I, again, I'm trying to think of the other comic creators. Uh, I mean, I honestly have no idea of the the straight slash queerness of like Mike Delmondo or or Mike right. Huddleston. Sure. Yeah. Um. So maybe them as well. Uh, but but you know there are some, and also again externally in Substack outside of comics, mm-hmm. there there's there's a, a there are queer writers who are who are being who have profited from the Substack Pro program, right? So it, it's not it's not only those people, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, but nonetheless, they are also again like. Paying bigots and paying, paying yeah. transphobes, right? Yep, yep. And and being very cautious to not say who, not you know, they. I think while trying to fill Edie in on this earlier in the day, like some of the Substack shenanigans jumped back from 
they originally weren't forthcoming that they were pain writers yes. and that it came so, out. So yes. So what happened was it basically emerged earlier this year yeah. that, that Substack was paying writers and Substack had not said anything. And in response, they initially were like, no, we're not. And then they're like, we are, but we're doing it for good reasons. Right. Right. And so they're, they're like, they announced the Substack Pro program, which is what it's called, after it was already revealed that, that Substack was paying people secretly. And the entire argument at the time was they're paying people to make it look like Substack is profitable. Right. To get other people to sign up for Substack. That's right. So, you know, good for them, but but also not good for them because of some of the people that they're paying. Right. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a very sticky wicket. I don't know. I mean, you know, again, there was something because I was talking with someone earlier on this week on Twitter who had done some work for Substack on the comics end of things. Um, some design work, I think, and was like, yeah, I feel really guilty. I jumped in, did it, and uh, like, kind of like found out after the fact that they were not sort of maybe the greatest business to be in with. And they're like, on the other hand, I made more money than I've ever made with any of my other comic work. And it's kind of, I'm just sort of like, ah, like I hate the fact that we're... And, oh, and in the course of talking with them, I was kind of like, well, you know, I mean, people who take, you know, who sell, who write Marvel books, people like me who buy Marvel books are still putting money in Ike Perlmutter's pocket. Well, I mean, that that's just it, right? Like, find somewhere that has not been uh, ethically compromised in the comics industry. Right. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no kidding. For real. Very, like, very good luck to you. Yeah. You know, try and do that and see how far it gets you. Right. But... Again, this is one of the reasons why the idea that like Substack is a new beginning, uh, or is somehow ethically more pure, is is just not true. It's a fallacy. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, as I called it, naive as you called it, a bad faith argument. Right. Um, have you seen Bo Burnham's Inside? I have not. Uh, it's one of those things where. So many people talk about it, they're like, I'm going to have to watch it. Right. And then eventually so many people are still talking about it, they're like, I'm kind of over it right now, but I'll go back later. And I just haven't gone back to it. Right. So I did watch it over the course of, I think, two nights this week. Uh, Watched like the first half of it about halfway through the week and then went back and rewatched it from the beginning and all the way through last night. And um, it's a thing. I got to tell you, I... It's it's kind of like if David Foster Wallace got to write and direct his version of the Muppet Show, I guess. Um, but that's there... that's something <laughs> for me. That's that's a big plus. But there's... oh no, I was going to say that yeah. that is like the most Jeff Lester yes. <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> um, but it is very uh, you know. There's there's a number of experiences that it tries to get to get a handle on, uh, a lot of which I think are about the process of being on the Internet, I suppose, and kind of wrestling and grappling with the good faith, bad faith arguments of for and against it. 
and uh, so it it kind of loops in. It's also just kind of a an amazing sort of thing. I really thought it was, um, yeah, really worth seeing. Like it a little little overly long. Like I either would have trimmed it or. I'm glad that I sort of watched it in the way that I did because, sure. you know, tapping out and then coming back to it when I sort of had a, a more gas in the tank made it a lot easier to, to pace myself for. But um, kind of a fascinating experience and kind of having a little bit of that good faith, bad faith, what is and isn't ethically compromised, like is very much the tone and also kind of a little bit of the, you know, and it's fucking me up. Like, I don't know how to participate in this system without it fucking me up, in part because I don't know how to participate in, like, sort of do and get the good things out of the system without contributing to the bad parts of the system. And there's that, and then there's also really funny songs about instagram or whatever so so it's it's quite a piece it's quite a piece i found it very um it uh, it's the david foster wallace thing is i think very much um uh to me is kind of a good location point for it as well as a selling point recommendation because i think that um wallace whose work i've love a lot i also feel is so um hyper self-conscious that it becomes essentially trapped in what it's trying to escape from and and even when it moves into that realm of like oh look at me i'm trapped in what i'm trying to escape from let's look at that like ultimately by the end of it, you end up coming out with a, um, I don't think it's like a prime Graham McMillan work. Cause I think you like your works to be genuinely messy and not formalistically faux messy. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. But, is, but is this not genuinely messy? Cause what I, the many things I've heard about it is it, it are centered around the idea that it is genuinely messy. Yeah, um, I think that's... Or is it practiced messy? To me, everything felt practiced messy. Like, every part of it is... Everything connects so neatly, I think, underneath and behind the scenes, that there's part of me that's like... "Mm, And I mean, I think that to the extent that it pushes you into you as a uh, viewer being like, which part is like genuinely um, anguished and which part of it is performatively anguished is framed in the work in such a way and, you know, in that Bo Burnham, the performer himself, can't really convey how much of it he he is trapped trying to feel authentic at a stage where various things have contrived to make him feel um inauthentic i suppose yeah exactly how much how much of the authenticity thing is authentic yeah exactly so i mean at best to me it's one of those 
I would say that it is a very structured formalistic piece of art where the goal is to recreate in the viewer the dilemmas being experienced by the characters which is in this case the creator and uh, and and so I, I liked it for that I really did like it but reading a lot of stuff afterwards where people were like oh wow yeah man he just seemed like he was having this incredible nervous breakdown right there and you were seeing it and I'm like I felt like it was an excellent performance of a nervous breakdown but it also kind of hits the beats so much you know it's sort of like it's kind of convenient that it happened while the shot was perfectly framed kind of feeling you know yeah, what yeah, I mean exactly. so so there's a lot so there's a lot there but again considering a lot of what he is talking about is trying to still dealing with the fallout of growing up as a performer and feeling the need to perform and not knowing what his authentic self is and dealing with his own like mental health um, problems that, that are keeping it from feeling like it's all, it's, it's really well done. I just, I think that it's also kind of, at least for me, it also was really well done in kind of a, I thought, very well created, very mannered way. So, yeah. and and other people who like, I'm like, maybe I'm just being more jaded or jaundiced and not seeing what what other people, you know, like that other people are seeing genuine anguish and I'm like, yeah, it's there, but it's refined through a performer's craft, you know, which is a different thing. I think anyway, I found it, it really interesting. And I also feel like it's one of those really re- if nothing else, it's kind of a resonant piece of, of work, uh, which is nice I was almost at a piece of art, which I think it is, but it's also kind of funny. Cause that's, you know, I'm talking about a Netflix comedy special, but it really does layer into, for me, some of the stuff that, you know, whether it's Tinian's newsletter, whatever the people at Substack are saying, like there's, there's such, um, there's such a, there's such a moving dot of what is actually happening, what's actually motivating everyone. And of course it, it changes from moment to moment. And um, I just wish, I think, if, I wish it were easier for me with Substack. Like, I found myself being like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'll just sign up and I'll I'll just get the Tinian, you know, one and keep an eye, eye open. Maybe this is Darsky one and I like getting things in my inbox. And then, you know, uh, somebody was recirculating this, uh, article, you know, that someone had posted probably on Medium or something, there's like Substack is not a neutral platform, you know? I think that's only nuances. I think that's only from, from like March, which is one of the ones that, that sort of started this whole thing. It, I, it, uh, I, I think so, but I also think it was something different. Like, if you want to entertain the masses while I double check, um, let me see. Because I sort Jeff, of while Jeff looks into this, I'm going to tell you all that uh, while Jeff is recommending the Bull Burnham 
uh, Netflix comedy special. I'm going to recommend a different Netflix thing. Folks, and this includes Jeff, have you seen Centaur World? <laughs> Centaur World is, uh, I think it's a 10-part animated show, which is genuinely great. Wow. Jeff, I, I know you're listening. Um, it starts off like the, the you know, a, a traditional animated war-torn world where one last heroine is, is trying to get the, the artifact and she's riding through and she's being chased by the Minotaurs and, you know, it's, it's, she's on her horse and she's just sung a song about how much she loves her horse and she'll never let her horse down. Uh-huh. And then she falls off the horse and the horse races to grab the, the artifact and falls through a portal and wakes up in a world that looks like something out of Steven Universe <laughs> where everything is a centaur. Wow. Uh, of different animals. of like So there's like a giraffe centaur and there's like a, a, a llama centaur and, you know, there's all this different thing. Uh, and it's it's really funny. It's really weird. But it's a great mashup of genres that is really fucking smart mm. in knowing when to be dumb. Huh. Uh, it's it's it really is. It's like ten episodes of maybe twenty minutes each, so it wouldn't be a great, a very particular time investment. And also, you can watch the first episodes and know if you're in or out. Right. Uh, the first episode has everything you 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 really need to know about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it, and like we just got through it in like two days, the whole wow. thing, because it is so fun and so. Uh, if you are someone who likes. You know, again, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, Steven Universe, mm-hmm. Adventure Time, mm-hmm. uh, but also My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and, mm. wow. and Cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you like all of those things, this is a show that is made for you. Wow. Genuinely made for you. Uh, and it has a, a ridiculous voice cast doing ridiculous things, which is to say at one point, and this is not really a spoiler. One of the characters gains the magical ability that their farts talk to them as if they're their dad. <laughs> um, and so all of a sudden his farts are like, you did your best, son. I'm proud of you. Because <laughs> it's giving him the validation his dad never gave him. And the farts are voiced by Tony Hale. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. No, it's it's really funny and really weird. Centaur World, everyone. It's on Netflix. It's great. Jeff, did you find the information you were looking for? I did. Uh, the article is called Substack is Not a Neutral Platform by Jude Ellison S. Doyle. Uh, Jay Edidin sent it around uh, and said after the fact in a tweet, Look, make whatever choices you're going to make. You don't have to justify them to me. But please understand the cost of what you're getting and who pays? So I'll link to the article in the show notes. I figure that's yeah, please do fair, you know. And um, um, yeah, I, I, I'm curious. So you did you subscribe to any? Did you pay for any of the subscriptions? So I have not paid. I have not paid. Yeah, exactly. I am. I am still hesitating. Finger purchased over the buy button. So and I don't. I don't know what I'm going to. Who who would need to show up for you to do it? I mean, well, so, I mean, this is the weird thing where I'm like, uh, I mean, like, I like how you're framing it, Graham, because you're kind of like, who would you need to be on there to compromise your principles? Like, I'm like, I'm sort of halfway into doing it 
by Tinian. with just Tinian, who's yeah. a, who's a dude whose stuff I have liked but haven't necessarily loved, but I think has sure. a lot of potential. Right, so yeah. you know, like part of me, uh, you know, you know me, Al Ewing's a draw um, always, but. You know, the fact that he contributed a um, a bit of world building to the Hickman project is probably mm-hmm. not going to be enough for me to be like, yeah. oh, I'm going to do this, you know. But if he was doing his own thing, like, part of me is like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, but – or it wouldn't, you know, because that's the thing. At a certain point, I'm like, these guys are going to get paid, you know, in theory, they're going to get their year – it sounds like no matter what. And then after that, I assume I'll be able to get the trade. You know what I mean? So part of me is like, like I'm very torn, like the re- precisely the reasons why I'm interested in hitting the pay button it are sort of in the same sort of weird abstract value realm as the reason why I'm not hitting the payment button. You know what I mean? Like, part of me is yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I wanna, I wanna see what this thing does. I want to support other ways to 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 get money into creators' hands. And yet, at the same time, I'm like, uh, but do I really want? Like, seriously, the people that have purportedly or even actually um, been funded by Substack, I'm like, ugh. You know what I mean? Like, I got to indirectly underwrite Andrew Sullivan. Like, you know, so um, and I picked one because I know, of course, you 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 basically poor Coley Hamner got um, got ratioed for your sins. Yeah. You know, exactly. Kelly got absolutely slaughtered for my story from for inverse like two months ago. Yeah, exactly. So part of me is like, I want to be cautious about who I'm saying is is actually getting paid there. But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's kind of creepy. I'm like and part of me is like, oh, hooray, a new ethical dilemma for comics. Just what I wanted. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't having enough trouble. Like I'd kind of hit. I kind of haven't had any of those in a while. So it was kind of a bummer to be like, oh, back to the old, uh, you know, self-hating grindstone. Hooray. So, um, yes, Graham. So that's Substack, I think. Are there other things we should talk about news-wise? Well, it's not really news-wise anymore, but I'm curious. Did you watch Suicide Squad? I did. I did. Yes, I did. And I have to say, I, I liked The Suicide Squad. I enjoyed it. Did you? As See, I also like liked mm-hmm. the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a little bit long. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, um. But I, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the shit out of it. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, there are things to quibble with. There are things to nitpick. Mm-hmm. Uh, not least of which, I think it got a little bit too kill happy. Uh, like, I, I, really, I really like the opening. Mm-hmm. And how hilariously like misdirected it is. Yes, yep. but I think towards the end it was like, did Rick like have to die? Right. Like I, I feel there's spoilers. other ways to, yeah. to to doing what it wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, um, but honestly, for the most part, I thought it was a really fun film. Yeah. Uh, and and I thought it was. I thought it made smarter choices than I was expecting it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. In not least of which. 
including when to go sentimental as shit. Yes. You know, the rat catcher reveal is really fucking sentimental, but really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm surprised how well that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because I think there's... Uh... I don't know. I mean, it did. It just, it also worked for me. It was the movie I wish the first movie had been. Um, I just thought that it did things very well. There were a number of, um, like you said, there were some things to quibble about or some missteps. I didn't even, I didn't mind them. There were some things that people, you know, the fact that Idris Elba's character is so clearly dead shot but you know but, <laughs> but also, also isn't but also which i not, think is great right? yeah, yeah exactly and so and and for me i you know because i was talking with someone like that either in person or on twitter and i was like yeah i mean that's that's kind of comics you know what i mean like i like that it was such a comic solution of oh we're not going to be able like to me it would have comic book movies are weird in that people get recast from movie to movie all the time. But for me, it would have been weird as shit if they had done it with Idris Elba playing Deadshot. In, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's, it's it's they're not. I mean, they're they're not even vaguely similar actors. But also, like, there's something that would be weird about Idris Elba playing Will Smith. Yeah, I mean, there's something that's sort of again outside of this when when black actors are recast. You know, it's still a little glaring when you jump from uh, Mr. McMath to Don Cheadle, you know, in in the Marvel movies. And, um, you know, seeing the idea of having that jump. But to me, like, I feel like there's nothing more comics-oriented than John Byrne said that you can't use, you know, Superman this month. Okay, well, I'm going to put Monel in there. You know, like there's something about the, the the comic book analogs get swapped out all the time. And so I thought that that was actually really fun. And so there were a lot of things that were really, I liked it a lot more than, say, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Like I kind of felt like Gunn had, um, was not really, it had been kind of missing things. So for me, admittedly, part of it is like, it doesn't promise anything more i think and like you no, said, exactly this... it is it is complete in and of itself right yeah. and mm-hmm. and it's, it's all the more fun for that yes i'd like to see more of this and like you know there is the end credit thing being like there's a fucking peacemaker show coming yeah but i don't feel like i have to it's not like a marvel movie where i feel like i have to see something else in order to understand it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right yeah right um but also yeah it, it's done it's it's told the stories of these characters and you know, as much as I like those characters, I'll also be happy not seeing those characters again. Right. And so I think there is that. The kill happy factor sort of came and went for me. Like, I'm kind of like, uh, mm, eh. Like, by the end, I wish in a way that more people had made it through. On the other hand, I also felt like it was like, hey, it lives up to the Suicide Squad. Like, it really felt much, much closer to the Ostrander Yale McDonald yes. comics. Yes. So much so. I mean, right down to having fucking Jontenheim or however you pronounce it right there. Like, you know, it was so there was a lot. I, I really did. I liked it a lot. It was the the most that I've ever liked Marco Robbie's Harley Quinn. Honestly, mm-hmm. I didn't. I think 
you know, I hate saying it because I feel like there's a lot of love for it on the internet. But like you're like I don't like Birds of Prey. I don't like Birds of Prey. I didn't think it was good at all. I didn't. It just did not work for me on lots many many levels. And and this one really I thought did fun stuff with Harley Quinn's character where I was like, oh yeah. I mean you know she she's not doing any more. She's not doing it for a while apparently. But I'm like you know. If she and Gunn wanted to do a Harley Quinn movie, I would. That would be a movie that I would. Yeah, you'd, happily you'd go see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I like the Suicide Squad a lot. I'm so glad you mentioned it. Yeah, God, it's been weeks since That's we've. That's it. So, yeah. The Suicide Squad came out last week, Jeff. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I were, yeah. A lot longer. <laughs> yeah. It re- oh Jesus, was it really last week? I think you're right. Yeah, it was last week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. No, that's what I'm saying. That feels a lot longer, and it came out literally like nine days ago. Yeah, for sure. Oh well, I mean, I I think if we want to talk about movies and news. There's the 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 Marvel one two punch of Scarlett Johansson suing Disney, and I think as an interesting consequence, Shang Chi and the Ten Rings getting a theatrical only release in the middle of Delta outbreak. So. Congratulations, guys! Good job. That's gonna go great. But well, to um, be fair, like they had never said Shang Chi was going to be on Disney Plus. Well, no. In fact, Disney, uh, Marvel said a while ago actually that they were planning on keeping everything off Disney Plus as much as possible. So Black Widow was a weird backdrop from that. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think maybe there would be a better chance of it turning up if like Scarlett Johansson hadn't sued them. <laughs> yes, um, and I was talking to someone who has reasons to be in the know this week, and they were like, "Feige is legitimately pissed off at, at Disney over this." I'm sure he is. I'm uh, sure because he apparently, is. Feige more or less was like, "You'll just take care of this, right? Like, you'll make everything okay with 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 right. Scarlet." I was told, yeah, yeah, we're we're going to take care of it, and didn't realize that we'll take care of it means like we're just going to do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna basically badmouth her, talk about countersuing her, and and acting like she is a selfish, spoiled child. So that'll work, right? Yeah, that's kind of. Uh, I would think that that yeah, Figi would not be very happy with that at all. Shang Chi, I it's interesting because I almost feel like Shang Chi is going to be a I think it's gonna be a huge flop and I think it's gonna be wallpapered over by COVID, which I think is good. Um I guess good for Marvel and maybe even good for the Shang Chi license. But I have to say I keep watching the trailer. I keep feeling like there should be more trailers. And it there, just, there's a couple of trailers at least. Are there? I feel like I've seen two, and they look almost identical to each other, and they both seem really dull. I think they, I think they kind of, I think they kind of miscast that movie. I mean, but we'll see. Maybe I'm hugely wrong. But I mean, I, I feel that, uh, and this is maybe a larger conversation. The first wave of Marvel movies, one of the things that worked was the casting scene so on point, right? right. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. was great. Tony Stark. Chris Evans was a great. Uh, Steve Rogers, Chris Hemsworth was a possible Thor, but really, who gives a shit? <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Sure. Yep. When you look at... I mean, I like Simi Liu a lot, but Simi Liu as Shang-Chi doesn't really fit. No. Right? 
He really does. The Eternals casting is nuts. Right. The Eternals casting feels really weird. Uh, And and almost as if they're like, we want to work with these actors. But we don't really have roles for them. The Eternals is a group film. Let's just make that happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, And it feels as if we're in a different era of Marvel now where they're like, we're Marvel. (laughs) If we say that, you know, um, Andy Garcia is the new ancient one, Mm -hmm. you guys will be that. Right. You know, we'll we'll digitally re-age and un-age him Mm -hmm. as we see. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I think, I think, I think Shang-Chi, I think Simu Liu is really, well, we'll see. I just, I'm impressed at how much he seems to bring nothing to the trailers. And so I'm like... Which is a shame, because like, I like him as an actor. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really seen him in anything else. So I think that maybe that's my you problem. Have you seen Kim Shin Nope, no, I have not. No. Yeah, I, so. I, I think he's, he's, he's charming enough in that. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's he's he is an enjoyable actor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, maybe I should check something out. But like in that trailer, I'm like, I mean, I don't know. Whatever. So we'll see what happens. But I do think that I think that it's going to be one of those movies that maybe also like Black Widow that is not going to live up to traditional Marvel expectations. Um, but we'll have kind of an asterisk next to it, where it's like, you know, hey, you guys, COVID, you know, so. But yeah, uh, Scarlett Johansson suing. I feel like there was something that someone, let me see, I feel like someone was like, hey, are you guys going to talk about this on the podcast? And it wasn't the Substack stuff, although a lot of people were like, oh boy. I do feel like there was another big news story this week. Yeah, right? Am I forgetting that? I mean, tying it off Batman. I guess was like one of the initial headlines about the Substack stuff. Yeah, right. Deciding is leaving Batman and Joker. He's basically leaving the DC superhero stuff. He's not leaving Nice House on the Lake, which was reported a lot for some reason. Mm. Um, he's not, and he's also not cut ties with DC. Right, right. He's just leaving like the two regular superhero books he was doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but a lot of people were talking about that as in like who was going to replace him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I guess we'll find out in a couple of months. <laughs> Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the solicitations will be coming through soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it sounds terrible to say, but, like, I'm sure Batman will be fine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, of course. No, absolutely. Like, like DC's basically had incredible success with the Batman line, no matter who's been doing it, for more than a decade now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it was Morrison, then it was Snyder, then it was King, then it was Tinian. Well, I think that's it. I feel, and it's never been less than like you know a top ten book. Well, <laughs> but I mean, all that time. Well, see, but I think that is the part. Like, I don't know if anyone's necessarily worried about Batman, but the idea of someone essentially walking off Batman as opposed to getting canned from Batman is kind of big news. Like, Batman is. You know the 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 measuring point for the rest of the superhero direct market. You know, so so it's so there's something that's so dramatically eye catching in that. But yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, just looking at the free comic book 
birthday special as you can see like you know there's there's an a side of the batman office that is clearly um and i think justifiably trying to push the john ridley batman stuff as well you know and that seems like some pretty major storyline stuff as you know like i'm i'm kind of I'm not worried about DC. It's just more the... I think your comparison to Image, um, the news in the 90s, is, is in its own way um, a better analogy. Because at the, well, at no, the time... Well, no, but it is, right? Of, Cause, yeah. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, Image taught Marvel not to promote creators for, like, a good 10, 15 years. Right. Right? Um, and... I wonder, sorry, not to promote uh, artists right, for for that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if DC is going to basically stop pushing creators because because this <laughs> because this has happened, right? You know, because they've lost two of their biggest names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Snyder and Tinian are both gone now, right? You know, right? Well, and It'd be hilarious if bring Tom King on. <laughs> hilarious to bring Tom King on. Well, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I feel like you know we talked a little bit about Tom King's sort of star kind of dimming a bit, but I mean, there is something where King or I don't know Morrison, you know, would would hit different, but it wouldn't necessarily hit at the type of thing. One of the things for, for me that I think Tinian is. A dude who, you know, I think everyone knew that you know, because Snyder had telegraphed and talked about these things, people were kind of aware, like, okay, Snyder's making noises like he's going to wrap up Batman, he's going to wrap up, you know, um, metal and death metal and everything, and and kind of move into some new area, which seemed like it was going to be, you know, a stronger uh uh, accent on image books or whatever. But I think Tinian was a guy who it sort of seemed was more or less scratching his itch with doing his creator own stuff and was also was also had his shit together enough to be like, yeah, and I'm also going to be doing Batman. I'll do Batman, I'll do Nice House on the Lake, I'll be doing these titles for Boom, I'll be doing something else. Like, he's clearly a busy guy who doesn't drop the ball he seems to really you know he served a very long apprenticeship and it seems like he really learned a lot of really like he took a lot of lessons to heart so seeing him and, as and a I felt creator, like he, he, yeah. you know, he was applying them as well yes you know what I mean? exactly i felt like he was very clearly going i have a plan for my career yeah. and it involves balancing the marquee superhero names on my own work yes Yes, absolutely. And and kind of doing that thing of like, I am going to, and and kind of the sort of the way that, you know, you see um, movie stars talk about like, yeah, my agent said like, you know, do one for them and then you can do one for you, you know, kind of deal of, and I, and I think that, that he very much was like, yeah, I'll do one or two um, big work for hire titles and i will do you know two smaller or three smaller um 
stuff, thing, indie-owned things that I own. Uh, and again, what's interesting about the little the you can back me, you'll have a deeper bench of knowledge on this. But I think even on the free newsletter, I think it was the free newsletter, unless I read it elsewhere. Um, he, you know, he was kind of talking about like, yeah, my ideas for what was going to be my first Batman arc totally got shot out from under me. And, um, you know, I think well, he, I, it, he, he didn't, he wasn't that abrupt. He, he more or less said, mm-hmm. um, it, it, they kept changing because, because 5G kept changing. Right. Right. I guess that's right. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things he said, which was really fun and again makes me think i was reading someone else's summary whether you know i'm sure i assume rich like clipped all the parts out of it and ran it on bleeding cool uh, of his newsletter you're like i don't i mean i'm i'm sure he did i'm sure he did yeah i think i saw it there you know um or somewhere but you know just that thing of him saying like yeah i that's part of why i we ended up creating a lot of our own characters and what was great was once we did that, no one could really tell us what they could or couldn't do, you know, because they were, they weren't established characters. They were, they were our characters and they were also characters that weren't going to be wrenched in and out of 5G plans. So, you know, they were kind of a safe haven that I, you know, that I leaned into as the book went on. And, uh, you know, that's, that's some pretty, that's a pretty fascinating shit right there. I think. Um, God, I'm so sorry. I know I had a point at the beginning of all that, which was probably just as anticlimactic as this point. Um, but, but, but I think Tinian's yeah. uh, eagerness to share, for want right. of a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. is, makes him a very unusual creator in that ecosystem. Yeah. You know? Right. I, I, in such a way that almost him being outside the the ecosystem now is kind of sad. Well, I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, on the other hand, considering, you know, I'm like, this is the closest we're going to have to, you know, (laughs) you modern day comics kids don't know, but back in the 70s and 80s, there was a little thing called the Comics Journal, and what would happen is people would leave a comics company, assume that they would never be back there ever again, and would go to the comics journal and shit-talk everyone. Yes, exactly. And literally just, like, tank their careers only for five years later going, and now I'm back and I'm so excited to be working on Madame Xanadu. Right, exactly. They're like, nah, I didn't, you know, everyone I shit-talked when I jumped over to, D, you know, at Marvel also ended up working with me at DC and you know, we all tried to escape into animation. Like they just kept following each other around. Anyway, nobody ever really does that anymore. So the idea that Tinian, like, honestly, part of me is like, I, I, like I said, I would pay seven bucks for the Tinian, you know, dishes about Batman, um, like endlessly like even more so because i haven't read the comics in a way like sort of me that would be very weird uh i can read the comics after after reading about them yeah what what i mean that that i that the idea that i that he's going to dish all sorts of inside dirt about the creation of punchline and you know me sitting there being like ah uh who you know that's yeah, exactly. Ah, punchline. <laughs> punchline. That's great. 
Who knew that Captain Ghost originally started out as the Spectral Blueberry? That's fabulous. That's what we should do. That's is like you should send me the the Batman newsletters and then I create synopses of the issues of Batman that Tinian's discussing using nothing more than the stuff that he's discussed that I don't necessarily know. That would be that would that would be my that would be my Substack newsletter. Let me tell you, and um, launching soon. <laughs> exactly. Uh, someone pointed out the fact that um, a news item worth mentioning is the fact that Crunchyroll um, basically got bought out by Funimation, I believe. Uh, unless I'm Did wrong, they... and they do it as a merge. But yeah, that wow. is. A I, thing. I had no idea. That feels that feels actually big. Yeah. Crunchyroll and Funimation are one company, and that was announced on August 9th. So, Who owns them? Uh, well, let's see what the press release is. I mean, Sony Sony owns Funimation. So the press yeah, release... Warner's on Crunchyroll. That's right. why I'm wondering. Uh, so, okay, so from the press release, Sony Pictures Entertainment Inc. and AT&T Inc. today announced that SPE has completed its acquisition of AT&T's Crunchyroll anime business through Funimation. So, yes, um, that's the deal. Crunchyroll is now part of Funimation. It's still under Sony. And that'll that's for those of us who are, you know... Um, uh, basically one step closer to the uh, AT&T is going to sell DC to Amazon um, stories uh, that I've been trying to start all week on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll see how that turns out. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. So um, yeah, so that's a news point. I feel like we should talk about comics. Like, cause I mean, we're of course always talking about comics, but you know, we're, we're about an hour and 43 minutes in and we lovingly talked about defenders issue one, but part of me is like, should we talk about other things that we've read? Other things that grabbed us, other things that didn't grab you, us. You know what I, I, uh, caught up with this week after mm-hmm. loving for the first couple of issues. And then as is my want, just utterly abandoning callously, mm-hmm. um, was the, the dreaming, the, the recent, uh, Jubilee Wilson, the series. Ah, of the dreaming. Which mm-hmm. is fucking lovely. Mm. I, re- I read the whole thing in, in a couple of sittings this week. Mm-hmm. And it's everything I... I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this. It's everything that I like to remember the Sandman being, even though I know it's not, if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. It's something that lives up to the Sandman hype, mm-hmm. even though it's not Sandman. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it Wilson really keys into what the appeal of Sandman was 30 years ago, uh-huh. but updates it for today. Mm. Uh, and there's some really nice turns away from, uh, you know, Sandman, not even lore, but like Sandman attitudes, mm-hmm. Sandman, uh, you know, thinking, Sandman logic. That that land really nicely, both in terms of like how it's playing against what you expect, but also in the way that like the world has changed since Simon came out. Mm. So, for example, uh, there's a trans character in there, mm-hmm. and at one point 
uh, a villain does the I know your true name because and therefore I have power over you speech mm-hmm. to this guy. <laughs> and this character is literally having fucking none of it and is like, who the fuck cares that's not my name? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you have the very dramatic, I know your true name, this means I have the power right. build up. Mm-hmm. Only for this character to be like, no, that's not my name. You right. know my birth name. Big whoop. <laughs> right, right. You know? Which, you know, you compare with, with Wanda in, in A Game of You, mm-hmm. where, where the, the treatment of, of, of Wanda in general, then, but like Wanda's name mm-hmm. is such a weirdly charged and, and, you know, reading it from today's perspective, just like really shitty thing. Mm-hmm. And it feels has really learned from that but mm-hmm. does it, it and, and reveals this in like such a a fun way that that it, you think you know where the story is going and she's like yeah fucking no that's not what we're doing at all because that, that I don't agree with that um, and also it's just it's a fun it's a very fun story in and of itself which features cameos from the gaming characters but in no way is overrun by them hmm yeah, I really, really liked it. I, I really genuinely liked it. And whenever the the collection comes out, uh, I hope that it. I hope that it finds the audience. I don't think it found in serialization. Mm-hmm. I really hope that it's a success as a, as a collection. Mm. I hope so. I hope so. What about you? Uh, me. Well, it's been kind of a, a crazy mixed bag of things. Um, among the manga, I I. Um, actually found and picked up a copy of the 201st volume of Gokul 13. Uh, volume 200 or volume 201 was uh, the the landmark where it became sort of the longest-running manga series collection, um, where I think that record may have then got recently overturned. So I was super excited to come across it in a Japantown bookstore, and I'm like, ah, Coco 13, Volume 201, this is great. Let me pay for this and read it, and it's in Japanese, so it's not really reading it, and it was awesome. I mean, I say it was awesome. The main story, I think, is about Bitcoin, or it's certainly something about money, and it has, you know, the, all the great Google Go 13 staples of um, angry-looking people discussing things in, in offices and looking shocked. And it's great because you get to see a very cranky-looking Barack Obama at the beginning of it. So that, that, was, <laughs> that was super great. Um, I had pre-purchased some various things during the Comixology sales of months ago um, that took forever to come out. So... The Punisher Epic Collection, Return to Big Nothing, which I think I maybe, you know, pre-purchased two months ago, three months ago, and finally came out at the middle of July, like July 21st. I sat down and I've been reading a lot of that stuff. Um, So that is a handful of Punisher graphic novels and... Uh, issues 26 through 34, I think. So it's Punisher Kingdom Come by Chuck Dixon and Jorge Zafino. Uh, Punisher Return to Big Nothing by Zek and Grant. Um, and the Punisher Intruder uh, by, um, I want to say Baron and Reinhold, but maybe it's not Reinhold. And it also has Punisher's issues 26 through 34, and I think 
the Punisher Life Force annual. Anyway, it's just a big pile of 90s comics that was um, sort of fun to read in dribs and drabs, you know, dropping in and out of it and seeing things like Mike Barron writing, you know, I think it's two issues of the Punisher versus Doctor Doom is like, kind of mind-blowing um one of the things that's really funny things were different back then Jeff. they really were and the thing that's really weird is like um baron has you know we've sung his praises and also wondered about what kind of drugs he was doing back then and uh the punishers i think you know kind of the perfect venn diagram of those um concerns and interests because Baron's really weird on the Punisher because some of the stories are, since they were ripped from the headlines of the day then, are still kind of shockingly relevant in some ways. Like, I was really impressed. There was some storyline, I don't even remember what it was, where it was like a mixture. Oh, I think it was like scamming senior citizens with like... um, fake charitable scams that are being used to underwrite, you know, um, right-wingers making lots of money, you know. It was like a micro-backup story in the uh, Punisher Life Force Annual or maybe classic Punisher. And it just kind of meanders along where Micro's like, you know, his next-door neighbor gets scammed and he promises to help her out and he basically decides to sink the entire company and you see it all play out. And it's like the stuff is weirdly shockingly understated considering it's about a guy with a big skull on his chest who blows you know enormous holes into bad guys and 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 drug dealers you know like it's kind of like just kind of barren storytelling is kind of a yeah and then this happened and then this happened and you wouldn't expect this to happen but they did and then they went to the wrong address but that's okay because it turned out that the supervillain, you know had them cornered and was about to kill him but then later you found out like he was actually upset because his girlfriend needed money for an operation and the hero had the money so it gave it to him and then they all went out for dinner you know what i mean like that kind of like well they sure don't write them like that anymore and <laughs> i it's weird seeing that. It's one thing when I'm seeing it on Wally West's The Flash, because I was sort of there when it was beginning, but I never paid attention to The Punisher after the first couple, after the first miniseries, I think. And so, um, despite loving the character, I'm like, I can tell this is not the take for me. And so rereading the stuff, it's super weird. You know, it's just, and by the time you get to the Punisher Kingdom Gone uh, by Chuck Dixon and, and Jorge Zafino. I think it's very early in Dixon's career. And it's just a meandering fucking story. It goes on for, you know, because it's a graphic novel. It's like 50 mm-hmm. pages of the Punisher trying to kill this guy who keeps getting away from him. And... And 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 essentially more and more people getting involved, and everything's got like a weird, you know, verisimilitude to it. But it's it's so 
it's all it's kind of like if you had managed to get tom clancy to write a sitcom episode or something like an episode of seinfeld maybe tom clancy's episode of seinfeld but it's also drawn by zafino who on the one hand is an amazing artist but also can't figure out how to draw the punisher to save his life so the punisher just looks off like so charmingly off model like he just look he just can't Zafino just can't wrap his brain around it, you know, because it's kind of like, okay, you know, the Punisher is supposed to look, you know, um, crazy and and scary. And Zafino's like, got it. And what you get is such a weird, like, Tom Bosley on a killing spree kind of thing. Like, it's really charming. Um, Sold to me with that. (laughs) You're like, sold and sold. Tom Bosley on a killing spree, I'm in. Tom Bosley is the Punisher. Uh, Those Snow White notes, uh, volumes one through three, which I picked up on a sale. Graham, I'm sure you're aware of this very popular anime about a young traditional, uh, a young musician who plays the Japanese traditional musical instrument of the, I think it's called the Shizen. Um... It's a it's kind of a very wacky, very charming um manga. Like very it's one of those classic like um for people who follow manga, like, oh, this was a one shot that everyone loved and they turned into a series and the guy was like, Um shit, yeah, okay, I can do a series and so the one shot, which is something like sixty or eighty pages, is kind of a self contained, kind of lovely piece about someone an artist trying to figure out a way to find their own voice and weirdly being able to reconnect to tradition and history by escaping this traditional historical um upbringing and more or less escaping into the craziness of tokyo and the shinjuku district and then it was they were like yeah you should serialize this and he's like okay so i guess i'm going to give the main character a an incredibly crazy mom like it's just it's a really it's it's not a uh by the numbers um musical manga which was kind of pleasant um in the i shouldn't tell you that i'm reading this um there's a manga called uh sundome <laughs> milky way which is about a alien that comes to earth because she needs um essentially their planet needs male human men to breed with the women because they are running out of um they're depopulating so she picks like one of the horniest nerds possible to to impregnate her but the problem is when she becomes embarrassed she changes form from her sort of uh voluptuous um you know super hot chick uh form into her quote-unquote real form which is to say a cartoon version of geiger's alien and so it's real yeah, th- this is this is this is not the manga that I'm making up this episode, Graham. This is all of this is a big. 
I, I will throw at least one page in the show notes to verify that this actually happens. And so it's kind of like a very, like a step above the stuff that I tell you. And you're like, oh, that's pretty objectionable, Jeff. Like, it's the volume that I read where I was like, oh, this is pretty objectionable. So, um, yeah, it was no, it was no, those snow white notes or, uh, go, go 13. Um, and, and perhaps as a result of that, I basically dug up my old digital copies of steaming sniper, um, which I don't know if you remember me talking about Graham, but I loved all the name sounds familiar, but I honestly could not tell you why. Yeah, it, <laughs> exactly. Because I talked about it sort of on and off over the course of, um, I don't know, maybe the two years that I was reading it, because new volumes would drop every month, every other month. It is an old manga that was recollected, and thank God, somehow, miraculously enough, got a, an English digital release about a trained killer who... um, Master assassin who more or less... uh gets a new life working as a uh, working at a, a, a an onsen off in the woods so he basically goes from killing people to you know helping haul around big crates of beer and 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 dealing with um you know trying to being the guy who has to roll in the the naked sushi cart you know with the naked woman who has sushi all over her kind of thing so it's an amazing, it's really amazing to reread because the first volume, the the very first story is kind of this weird mix of like, you know, his memories shooting people and killing people and then dealing with this onsen and him worried about people being raped. And it's like, no, it's okay. It's just they're shooting a porn movie. And he's like, oh, okay, so it's consensual. But then it's not. So then he has to like, turn out the lights and beat everyone up. And so you're kind of like, oh, okay, so this is going to be kind of, um, you know, a superhero in an onsen with a lot of um, naked vagina, you know, um, stories. But after that very first story, it becomes something far, far more gentle about everyday life at the inn. And this guy who's kind of... uh, on the one hand, a super dude, but is also someone who is just trying to steer his way to a quiet life. Like, it's kind of a, it's it's alternately a midlife crisis manga and also sort of a midlife fantasy manga. And it's really charming. I'm really glad that I read it, especially after Sundome Milky Way. Because the first couple of volumes, I was like... Oh, wow. Like, it's lots of shots of, like, you know, each chapter section is usually our hero, like, holding a gun or, like, taking a knife or, like, you know, using some impressive, you know, just shit that you would see out of the Punisher. And come to think of it, now that I think about it, if I ever got a chance to do a Punisher graphic novel, it would be one where he escapes and, you know, basically leaves that life behind and tries to reinvent himself as you know, essentially a worker at a reclusive, at an onsen off in the woods, you know? But we know what would happen. Violence would rear its ugly head. Well, see, that's it. And then get Clint Eastwood to play him, and then everything will be fine. Well, see, and one of the things that's great about Steaming Sniper is you keep waiting for that to happen. And in the first 
the very first chapter you're like oh, okay and this is what it's going to be and then i guess apparently like the editors and the creators just kind of went with a 180 and like but what if we have it more be about all these people getting by in a reclusive little inn and all the various forms of gossiping and flirting and 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 quiet moments of character development you know and every once in a while like for example that first story which has him like turning out the lights and brutalizing the you know the rest of uh you know the people who are shooting this this horrific uh pornographic movie um by the sixth chapter the sixth story in it is this woman checks into the onsen and jen the guy who's the the steaming sniper himself basically tells one of the maids to keep an eye on the woman because he's got a bad feeling about her and he he suspects she's here she's come to the onsen to kill herself and so they spend the first couple of nights trying to tail this woman as she goes from you know the baths to her room to the dinner back to her room and etc and eventually what happens is one of the maids is indiscreet gets caught and the woman's like no 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 i wasn't going to kill myself i'm just here because of a bad love affair because you know the man that i was with dropped me because she he said i was too fat and and the the professional assassin guy's like, well, I used to box in college, so I know how to lose weight quickly. And she's like, really? Will you show me? And so the it's basically a weight loss montage for the rest of the story. And at the end, she's like, wow, I've taken off all this weight. And I have to say, it makes me realize that I have way more control over my life than I thought. And I have to admit, I was going to come and kill myself here, but you guys managed to teach me that life is about, you know, discipline. And people are like, ah, and then she goes away happy. And I'm like, yeah, you never would have guessed this story was going to be happening from the first story, that's for sure. So, what can I say, Graham? Good stuff. Jeff, 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 Jeff. Jeff? Jeff, I think you've unplugged your headphones. Jeff, I think you've unplugged your headphones. This is amazing. Graham? <laughs> Shit, how much of that could you hear? Did Did you miss all of that? My stupid microphone fell out of the stupid USB port. Yeah. Yeah, you unplugged yourself, and you'll listen back, and you'll hear me going, Jeff, I think you've unplugged your headphones. Jeff, I think you've unplugged your headphones. Fuck! There'll be a speaker somewhere. No, you were muted. Well, no. I was muted. Well, sorry. My headphones were out, and that's yeah, all that the system's all coming All of a sudden, through. the audio sounds different on my end as well. Son of two dicks. Okay, so where was I talking where I suddenly went out? It was literally when you started talking about uh, the Red Room. Oh, thank God. Okay. I was really worried there was all that. It's so funny because... It was very funny from my end. Mm, I'm glad. I'm just going to keep that in there. Graham, that's me. Also, we're we're over the one hour mark and like things haven't gone weird. Oh, you're right. Wait, I have something to say very quickly before I think we should call back and then wrap it up. But please, you don't check Marvel Unlimited that often now, right? Uh, No, it's kind of like at the beginning of the week and then... Okay. Do you know what they added midweek this week? No. I would have to check to be sure, but I think they've added all the other issues from the new 1961 collection. Hmm. Because this week they added Millie the Model, issue 105, Patsy and Hetty, issue 79, Linda Carter, Student Nurse, issue 2, Gunsmoke Western, issue 67, Journey into Mystery, issue 74, Strange Tales, issue 90, Kid Cold Outlaw, issue 101, Kathy. 
issue 13, Life with Millie, issue 13, Journey to Mystery, issue 73, Patsy Walker, 97, and Love Romances, 96. Holy God. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Okay. All from 1961. Mm-hmm. And I'm fairly sure if they are all the ones in that new collection that just came out. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so if anyone wants to go and read what else Marvel was doing at the same time the Fantastic Four first appeared. Right. Um, they've just added that shit for you, Marvel Unlimited. And some of it's charming, some of it's terrible. Yeah. Some of it's fun in the you look back and you're like, oh boy, way. <laughs> but um, it's all entertaining. Right. You know? Huh. Interesting. So, dare I ask, which have did you read all of them? Or... I didn't read all of them because I didn't read, like, the the Western or the mystery titles. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, honest to God, I love shit like Millie the Model and Patsy and Heidi. Right, right. Like, I really do. It's 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 camp, although it's it's not really camp, right? Because it wasn't intended to be at the time. It's sort of retroactively become camp. Yeah. I, I, I just find it really entertaining. And I find it entertaining in the same way as, like, Archie, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there, there is something that's great for me about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, that's good to know. I really appreciate the I appreciate that hot tip. I personally think that maybe what we should do is just press on to the ending and assume that if no, it's I not going to buzz, I, I, yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, thank you for that that hot tip. I will. Uh, the question is, Jeff, are you going to keep this in the podcast? Which part? Uh, it's a bit where you're like, I think we should keep going. <laughs> I'll, I, who knows? I might trim that out. I don't know, Graham. Ah, ah. Why don't you just close things down and we'll go from there? Okay. Uh, there will be show notes for this podcast up on waywellpodcast.com. On, well, as soon as you can hear this, because it's not me doing it. I was going to say on Monday, but it's going to be whenever Jeff decides to get it up. Um, yeah. There is also going to be something at some point in our lives at instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpods. We have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have to swallow, excuse me. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a Twitter account at uh, Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon supporter podcast, which means Jeff is going to talk to you right now. Yes, I am. Hey, everybody. You are awesome. We are incredibly grateful for... Your support of us be that through listening to us blather uh, on and on and on, and or the people at Patreon who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh to make us blather uh, on and on and on. I have to say you uh, say to you, I was lucky enough to spend time with the um, the owner of the mysterious and remarkable Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. And um, he just wanted to say how much he enjoyed the fact that uh, Empress Audrey is our um, patron and uh, that she gets a shout out at the end of every episode and that there is a bit of a a mythology to her as well there should. So, um, yeah, she's great. Uh, You all are great. And we are incredibly grateful for your ongoing support. And we thank you, Graham. I really like that you went, they're great, you're great, and we're grateful. Ah! I, I know that was your intent. Waka but it waka. Kind of, it, it kind of worked out. I like that very yep. much, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, we are back in a week with a drug, which means both you and I need to read some Judge Dredd in the next week, Jeff. Yeah, do you know what volume? I tried looking at the end of your show notes, and I'm not seeing it. 27, I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's 27 this time. Right. Uh, it's 20, oh God, see, now you've got me wondering. Baxter. Mm-hmm. Not Baxter, though. No. 
doop 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 doop. Yeah, you know, look, I did the whole thing where I was talking about Centaur World, so you should you should entertain yourself. We are going to be doing. It is twenty seven. I was right. You were. Thank you for checking, though. I you yeah, know we're doing uh, just read the complete case files volume twenty seven next week. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we're, we've got a lot of dread to do, including dread dread versus predators. Unless I'm entirely Woo-hoo! mistaken. Woo! Woo! Uh, the week after that, uh, we're back with another way. What? That's right. It's we're back at a re- reasonable regular schedule. Yeah, which is great because I do feel like it has been a while for real. Yeah, it's funny considering how many years we've been doing this and it only took two weeks and i was like wait how do we do this what is this like this feels like i feel like we kept the 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 train car on the rails but only barely and i'm like "Hmm, we should we should be a little more on top of it by now but anyway so yes check out the choo choo content train coming to you for the next couple of weeks everyone Good lord. I was like, Graham, where's the choo-choo noise? You're supposed no, to go, no, no, chugga, no, chugga, no, chugga, no, chugga, no, true no, believers, no, chugga, no, chugga, no, chugga, no, chugga, no, chugga. No, Bye! No, like that. Bye! Bye. <laughs> Touche. <laughs>